Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, baseball things considered. My name is Sam Dingman, and this is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? We are one month, one month from pitchers and catchers reporting. Our long winter nightmare, which frankly has felt like it's barely like just gotten started, is already coming to a close. It's, it's kind of like a like a winter bipolar fit, I would say. I think if you stretch out uh, big free agent signing slash re-signings to kind of one every month, the tension of who will or will not be re-signed kind of keeps things fresh. Now, like you in a, that, like in a romance, you say that like there's been some big free agent signing news lately. Oh, Alan Smith, how big? The biggest in Orioles history. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. 161 million buckaroos. Wouldn't it be funny? I think it would be really funny if there was someone out there who listens to this podcast and is just finding out about the Chris Davis contract. Spoiler alert! By virtue of the words <laughs> coming out of our mouths, that would be so. What an interesting, interesting role we we play in that person's life. I think it's literally impossible, as (laughs) the only way people know we do a new podcast these days is over Twitter. (laughs) And even then, got to... uh... Got to tweet that a couple times. Yeah, got to, got to tweet that out a few times. Thanks again for sticking with us, hey, folks. we are still making podcasts, ladies and gentlemen. It's true. <laughs> this is one of them. This is one of them. In fact, I believe this is episode 134. You are correct, of sir. Of Baltimoreans. You are um, correct. Although we may have done that last week. It's hard to say. No, no, no. Last week was 133. All right. I, this keep, is, I keep strenuous documentation. This is definitively Smith. episode 134. That's right. All and right. if you listened to our show last week... You were reminded that we only sometimes talk about baseball <laughs> and are quite hopped up about certain political matters. But since, thankfully, the ongoing dumpster fire of the American <laughs> political scene uh, just continued to smolder at approximately its same level this week, and there isn't anything really new to discuss on that front. You are saved. From more uh, bloviating and pontification. Yes, we will instead bloviate and pontificate about the aforementioned $161 million affair of Chris Davis, who will be an Oriole until he plays baseball no more, probably. I imagine that that is a lifetime contract for Chris Davis. I mean, if Chris Davis still has anything left as a player at the conclusion of this contract... Then it was a good contract. It will be the best free agent contract ever signed. Yeah, that's true. Which leads to my first talking point about the contract, if I may, Smith. Sure. There's a lot of people out there rushing to condemn this contract as a quote-unquote bad contract. (laughs) And to those people, I would like to say, yes, much like every single other five- to seven-year More than $150 million contract signed in the last 20 years, it's a bad contract, and the back half of it is going to be ugly, and we won't reap very much value from it. True. That's the way it is. True. Although the back end of this particular contract goes to, I believe, 2033. (laughs) (laughs) Gave him the uh, the Bobby Bonilla package, I believe. (laughs) The Bobby Bonilla package. Yeah, so that's interesting. So I feel like 
This is the kind of contract. But really, by 2033, what's $1.3 million even going to be worth? The that's oceans like, will have risen that's by gonna, then. That's going to be like like tissues, like blow your nose on it money. <laughs> well, in Donald Trump's America. Yeah, inflation will be rampant. It, you know, yeah. Oops, there's that uh, <laughs> There's that bloviating we told you wouldn't happen. Okay, so... But would you agree with that? I mean, yes, yes of course yes. this is a bad contract. The reality of the modern game is you have to sign bad contracts there are to bad keep contracts impact out players. There. That's, that's how, what you that's have how, to do. That's how it goes. Yeah, and, and I think that, um, uh, well, first of all, dear the internet, it's not your money, so shut up. <laughs> but, but secondarily, uh, the same people who are complaining about the Chris Davis contract were also people complaining when we were uh, all tearing our hair and gnashing our teeth that four big-name Orioles uh, are all leaving town. Exactly. And it turns out that for some combination of reasons, three of those big-name Orioles are back in the orange and black next year. And just it's the reaction to the Chris Davis signing, 161, seems to me to be like a lot of damned if you do damned if you don't internet chatter <laughs> yeah i mean there I, I i did see a few of our colleagues sending tweets back and forth uh over the weekend before davis signed exploring the idea of what if we sign Johannes cespedes which it looked for a moment like we were going to do and just went with davis uh, excuse me with trumbo at first base is that version of the orioles a better team than the version of the Orioles where we re-sign Davis and don't sign Cespedes or Upton. Well, the thing about Cespedes to me is he, uh, he's, I mean, he, like Davis, is mercurial. They're going to be up and down. They're going to go through power streaks. They're going to go through long power outages. But he can't really play the outfield. I mean, he's sort of like a Manny Ramirez outfielder. Cespedes? Like, yeah. He he takes paths to the ball that make make your make your eyes cross. He he has an incredible arm. True, but he he it's it's an it's a it's a adventure to him <laughs> joining the ball at any point in the field. Right, and the arm tends to make up for the bad routes. Yeah, and... the arm covers for a lot. Yeah. for sure. And but, the arm's not going to be there forever. But if you're going to sign exactly, if you're going to sign someone for a five or six year contract, let's go ahead and sign someone who all he has to do is hit dingers, and we'll just put somebody who can play defense in the outfield. Well, and yeah, and this leads to the next thing I think, which is I'd rather if we have to sign somebody to a long term, if we have to sign an impact bat to a long term contract. Here would have been my my preferred order of doing that. Jason Hayward, which I have talked about incessantly and I won't go into again. Also, obviously, we weren't going to do that. It was a beautiful dream. It was a beautiful dream. Justin Upton, who, by simple virtue of the fact that he is 28 years old, is going to perform better over the course of a long-term deal than Chris Davis, who is actually only one year older but feels older to people for reasons that aren't totally clear to me. Then Chris Davis, then Jonas Cespedes. Yeah. Because Cespedes doesn't walk. And the thing that we don't talk about enough about Chris Davis in 2015 is that he drew a lot of walks, yeah. led to team and on base percentage, and he didn't lead the team and on base percentage in like a Nick Markakis way where you're like, oh, cool, 342, nice work, buddy. Right. He had a very robust on base percentage, and even though he struck out so many times, <laughs> he drew. 
a, a lot of walks and was not the, by the end of the season at least, was not the free-swinging automatic out that he has historically been. No, I mean, he, he ended up the season 361 right. OBP, which is, I mean, if he can get if he can get close to that number this year, exactly. that, that's, that's amazing. Exactly. And Cespedes... Is, I believe... No, I guess he had he had t- his 2013 breakout season. He he OBP at 370, so it's not yeah. And Cespedes that much of an outlier, right? And I think we also have to look at the fact that uh, over the last three years, as terrible or no, let's go over the last four years, as terrible as 2014 was, it was a serious outlier. Davis was excellent in 2012. He was world beating in 2013. And he was super cool in 2015. <laughs> yeah. It was and just a little bit imbalanced. Most of 2014, he was uh, maybe should be put out on an ice flow. Yeah. But, you know, that's because he didn't have the, uh, didn't have the, uh, didn't have the, the, you know, didn't have the, the focus pills. I forgot that he finished 196 on the season. We're not talking about that season. But, okay. So, but here's the thing about Chris Davis that I think that Baltimore Orioles fans are, are missing. Yes, he has had periods in which he has struck out an awful lot. But you, as Orioles fans, remember that more. You remember all of the frustrating strikeouts. Every other team is terrified of Chris Davis. They're scared of him because he has the power to reach down and flip a ball that is next to his shin out of Orioles Park at any moment. And... I think that people try to work around him. Even when he's in one of his strikeout binges, it doesn't seem to me like it. I think people are forgetting how scary Chris Davis is to the opposition and how much that is something that the Orioles have never had. I don't remember when the Orioles had one of the like most feared hitters in baseball. You speak forgetfully of the dearly departed Luke Scott. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you question the last time we had a lefty masher in the lineup? And I would also argue that Nelson Cruz did play that role for one season, but nobody saw that coming. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. Is Luke Scott like the homeless man's Chris Davis? I think I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm not sure what it means, but I'm comfortable with it. (laughs) Great. Um, Great. That just that just made the entire Luke Scott experience make more sense to me for some reason. <laughs> well, and you know, here's the other thing. You, <laughs> you're you what you're saying points to another thing that I think is very exciting. We now have the we now have that feared cleanup hitter installed in the number four spot in the lineup or the number three wherever he hits. Uh, but let's say we have the Machado Jones Davis combination. That sequence of hitters is guaranteed for the next three seasons. Yeah. It's guaranteed. And that's mm. terrifying. I mean, that's crazy. Injury. All right, Machado will obviously get hurt, <laughs> but <laughs> let's just think about it. No, no, you know? it's true. It's true. And it, it seems to me that uh, that if you put, you know, Trumbo in the five and Weeders in the six— and you find somebody who can get on base at the top of the order, then suddenly that is one of the best lineups in the American League. The problem with that, of course, is that... They have to score all of the runs because we will be giving up all of the runs? Well, it's the same lineup that we had this past year. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. Except Trumbo. We now have Trumbo in his in his comeback player of the year 2016 campaign. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean I do think there is something to be said for saying to Mark Trumbo, "You sir will be the designated hitter early day." Yeah. Just hit dingers. Yep. Don't <laughs> worry about anything else. You might have to play some first base every other Sunday. Yeah. Might stick you in right field every once in a while just for 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 goofs, but most of the time just sit dead red and hit it to the moon. <laughs> yeah. And I'm comfortable with that. Yep. Yep. I think that he is the right person for that job. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all he's capable of. Sure. But, but now that's all we need him to do. The the really disappointing part about the Mark Trumbo signing is it is it effectively b- blocks the uh Henry Rudia path to the majors that I was banking the college trust on. I don't I don't think that's true Smith because while I'm very excited about the Chris Davis signing, we are still without a left or right fielder. <laughs> David Lowe, 2016. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. What's the rest of that sentence? He will still be alive <laughs> in 2016. I hope so for the sake of him and his family. He seems like a lovely person. Yes. If he's playing left field every day, yes. I am going to send a, a bag of rotten pizza to <laughs> Peter Angelos. Well, I mean... Okay. Yes, David Lowe was something of a disappointment as a hitter in uh, 2015. That is the understatement of the year, sir. (laughs) And Ted Cruz uh, sometimes has a political point that I disagree with. But (laughs) in in a kinder, gentler America... uh, Which is not where we live. There are many professional baseball teams who have a killer... One through eight, and a number nine that they managed to hide. And I think that, like, yes, I hope we sign either a left or a right fielder. But I, I think that uh, you can construct a lineup without, um, you know, amazing offensive players in every position. I think that's true. I would also propose the idea that I don't think Dan Duquette is done. I think... Uh, I hope not. Before before we move on to to talking about pitching, I I do just want to talk about what I think the uh, the implications of this Chris Davis contract are. Because let's look for a moment at last off season when Dan Duquette was, as we have said so many times on this show, clearly asleep at the switch. Mm-hmm. He was angling for the Blue Jays' job and clearly not paying any attention to the free agent market, which is how we ended up with the major haul of. Delman Young and Wesley Wright <laughs> uh, as, our, as our improvements to the squad entering yes. the 2015 season. Dan Duquette clearly entered this offseason with something to prove. Yes. That he was committed not just to making the team better, but to preserving the progress that has been made since he and Buck Showalter, I'll go ahead and say, came into power. <laughs> since their regime began. <laughs> Rose to the top. And... He paid way more than I think we know Darren O'Day is worth Mm. to make sure that it was clear both to the fans, probably first and foremost, but also the rest of the pitching staff and the team by extension, that the value that Darren O'Day brings to the team goes beyond his effectiveness in the eighth inning. And we gave him a huge contract, an outsized contract, a contract that for a relief pitcher is probably 
as outsized as the contract that we ended up giving to Davis. Yeah. In that spirit. Yeah. Then, very early on in the winter meetings, if I remember correctly, we made a huge franchise offer to Chris Davis. Yeah. We didn't wait until the market developed. We didn't let other teams come sniff around first. We put it all on the table in response to the clamoring of Adam Jones and Manny Machado to team leadership of saying, keep Chris Davis here. It seems in response to that, they said, okay, here is an enormous offer that befits a free agent of your stature. Take it or leave it. And for a little while, it looked like he was going to leave it. Yeah. And we clearly, uh, as Ali Beswick pointed out on Twitter, we did make the Cespedes offer probably just to let Chris Davis know that we're moving on. It now, was Chris. a take it or leave it situation, and it worked. And then we still gave him another five million dollars. Well, sure, but there's all these people saying like, "Oh, Scott Boris, he he really he really got us on this one." I don't believe that that's true. Yeah, because Scott Boris at the beginning of the off season was running around with his two hundred million dollar trumpet song right. for Chris Davis, talking about an eight year deal. And was not able to get that. Right. He was actually able to get something that while... Looked very much like the Orioles opening offer. <laughs> yes. I think I think what, what has happened here with this contract represents a, something really significant. It represents the fact that Dan Duquette isn't sitting in, in steaming, fermenting bitterness about the fact that he didn't get the Blue Jays job. He's back and he's re-engaged with keeping this team as good as it has become. He is responsive to the notion that the fans want to see clear, bold action to maintain that level of production, and that, yes, we do have the money to spend when it counts, and when somebody, as we have so often quoted him saying, rings the cash register, the team will respond. I think all of that is very positive, and I got a little bit of flack for expressing this on the Twitters the other day. I think it sends a message to Manny Machado who is clearly the next person who we're going to have to uh, really think about this with. And that message is, if you maintain elite levels of production and you show the fans you really care, we will take care of you in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I, <laughs> well, has, has not been the case for uh, uh, a decade and a half, so that's nice. I, I'm still worried about the 2016 Baltimore Orioles, though. We don't have anyone to throw the ball. We do not. I know I've seen Chris Davis pitch. It's glorious, but I don't think that's going to be his comparative advantage. No. Stretching no, no, out no. Chris Davis as a as a uh every fifth day starter probably not going to solve the Orioles' woes. So, what in your mad box o tricks could we possibly do to improve the roster for this season? Well, this is going to sound like I'm reaching, and I am. But you got Kevin Gosman in the rotation for a full season. Yes. And he was in the rotation for pretty much a full season two years ago, but he's two years older now, and particularly with the way he was pitching at the end of the season, seems as likely as ever to take a big step step forward. And frankly, we need him to, because we haven't moved on a couple trades at this point that, had he been involved in, would have really made us a much better team, but we didn't want to do it because we didn't want to get rid of him. But now he needs to reflect that amount that of faith. confidence that the organization has placed in him. So that's going to be fun to watch, I think. I think he's up to the task. I think it's going to be fun. Now, that said, uh, 
That still leaves us with hopes and prayers that are shaped like Vance Worley. Now, are we out on the Cliff Lee thing? I don't know that we're out on the Cliff Lee thing. Is Cliff Lee out on baseball? What's going on with Cliff Lee? He's going to have a showcase. Can we get him on the phone? (laughs) Cliff. Cliff. (laughs) Baby. How you you doing, buddy? (laughs) Say hi to your mother for me. (laughs) He's going to have a showcase. May have already had the showcase. And it's, but it seems like what he has said through his agent, and this could just be, you know, uh, public negotiating, is that he's not going to pitch again. He's not going to sign a one-year deal unless it's for a lot of money. And the fact is, he does have a certain amount of leverage to say that because as recently as 2014, he was a dominant pitcher. Yes. But the thing is, he tried to rest and rehab his way through an injury last year, and it was a disaster. So there's no way of knowing what you're going to get out of him. Sure. So I'm down with the flyer, but Dan Duquette, I think, is way too smart to spend more than, you know, say, $8 million. Well, on... he's, also, he's also more interested in the, like, Johan Santana flyer, it seems, historically, than he is the, like, big-budget flyer. Right. So, you know, the other thing that we... Is consist- Vance Worley... He's currently on the team, right? Oh, until Darren O'Day came back to the fold, Vance Worley was our biggest off-season move. So Vance Worley, at right now, is our fifth starter. Well... Here's the thing, Smith. If these trends continue, I think this we got, is a, we got opening day, Tillman. You got Chris Tillman. You got Kevin Gosman. Uh, second? I mean, you got to right. <laughs> I mean, you got to put Ubaldo Jimenez in there second. Okay, fine. Just because Ubaldo we're paying second. a lot of money. Then Gosman. Then your boy uh, Gonzo. I'm seeing Vance in there <laughs> as you, number then, five. Then you put on the Vance pants. Is that what you're <laughs> Vance, telling me? Vance and dance. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> unless I'm missing something. Well, you are missing something, uh-huh. and that something is the Don't Dilly say Dylan Bundy. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, the Dilly B. Can we take a moment um, and try to figure out what XFIP means here live on on the air? Sure. I know this is going to make uh, Scott Magnus cry, but <laughs> what does XFIP mean, and why is four point one? XFIP for Kevin Gossman, uh, something that I should care about. Well, are you talking about FIP or XFIP? Because I actually know what FIP means. I think I'm talking about XFIP. Oh. I don't know what XFIP means. Okay. What's FIP mean? FIP is fielding independent pitching. Okay. That I got. The idea is if your FIP is higher than your ERA, right? then that means that you're relying on your defense too heavily. Mm-hmm. If your FIP is lower than your ERA... It means you've been getting unlucky. It means you've been getting unlucky. So for so a, his FIP is a good bit lower than his ERA. Chris Tillman, for example, high FIP pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a good defense behind him. He pitches to his defense. He does. He does. And 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 it's the same defense next year, so that's fine. Great. Uh, the thing is, if you figure that Giovanni Gallardo is the best available arm still remaining on the free agent market. Mm. Even if you get him, mm. which is hardly a done deal, he doesn't seem to have so many suitors, and I think we're probably still in play for him and are probably just trying to see how cheaply we can get him and probably don't want to give him a fourth year. Mm. But let's assume that we get him. We basically have approximately the same caliber of rotation that we had last year. Right? I mean, Gallardo is not a power pitcher 
He's not an ace. He's somebody who can log a lot of innings and will not give up too many runs. He'll go out there and he'll sweat and he'll work hard and he'll get hit around a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, so essentially the Orioles, to me, the, the Orioles 2016 hopes hinge on the combination of Kevin Gossman and Ubaldo Jimenez rediscovering some sort of form. It because there was it a kind period, of looks that way. There was a period of time in 2015 when he rattled off six or seven consecutive good starts, where there was I mean Jimenez Jimenez, where he wasn't terrible and he you know wasn't looking like slightly less of an albatross around the neck of the entire franchise. Then he fell off the horse again. But I'm going to quote what you just said back to you. There was a time in 2015 when he <laughs> rattled off five or six pretty good starts and wasn't an albatross around the neck of the organization. I believe that's a direct quote of what you just said. Correct. Right before that, you said the hopes <laughs> of the 2016 Orioles depend on the person you then described that way. <laughs> I, I don't see another way out of it. I don't see another – I don't see uh, uh, a trade waiting in the wings. I don't see a uh, starter – who is in AAA. I don't Mike see a Wright. starter who is in AA. <laughs> I mean, I, it doesn't seem like we have the... the. There have been times, there have been seasons, where we were very excited about the potential for the Orioles' pitching rotation to improve over the course of the year, uh, both by people getting better and by people coming up and, and contributing. Now, they never did that. No, uh, no that didn't happen. <laughs> ever. But uh, I don't even see I don't I don't see where the hope is here. I'm not I'm not sure what the the path through the valley of darkness looks like when it comes to who we're starting. Yeah, and as we have said on this show before, and as others have said on Orioles podcasts, and has as has been written about, the only difference between the 2014 division champion Baltimore Orioles and the 2015 500 Baltimore Orioles run and a half of starting pitcher earned run average. Yeah. That's the only difference. It's also true that the outlook was not a whole lot rosier going into 2014. True. And we talked about Chris Davis's 2014 season being an outlier earlier in this episode. And Chris Tillman's 2015 season looks like the outlier right now. Now, I know all the advanced... Scouting folks this feel is, like this is the, this is his his water finding its level. Yeah, and that may be true, but there are about 550 innings that suggest otherwise that led up to this season. So there's at least some reason to be hopeful about Chris Tillman. It's also possible that Vance Worley, who did pitch well in 2014, had I believe it was 17 very good starts for the Pittsburgh Pirates and wasn't abysmal last year. So if you're running him out there as the fifth starter for the first half of the season, while Dylan Bundy is finding his form pitching in long relief, if it seems feasible to then transition Bundy into the rotation for the latter half of the season, that's not an that's not a crazy scenario to think about. There are ways that this could break in our favor. It's just that the lineup feels like a sure thing at this point, the closest thing you can get to a sure thing, and the rotation is still almost exclusively question marks. Uh, I have another plan. Okay. Let's say uh, we get 
our friend Nick Markovich, known uh, friend of this podcast, a gentleman and a scholar. After the um, jelly bean incident of 2015, <laughs> I am removing gentlemen from that honorific. Let's give him a wig. <laughs> okay. Smuggle him into City Field and see if he can do a passable Jacob deGrom impression for long enough for us to get him <laughs> into Baltimore. <laughs> because Nick, all are things, you listening? All the things that you say uh, make sense to me, and I can see where, like, Another year of duct tape and bailing wire and not insubstantial amounts of prayer get us to a team capable of putting up 90 wins. This team, and this is a a shocking thing for me to say, but I think speaks to three to four years of relative Orioles success. This team needs to be thinking about getting out of the first round of playoff baseball. This team needs to be thinking about not just competing, but getting as far as to sort of get into the the, the real the real toss ups of late season um, playoff baseball. And I think the thing that we've seen from the last couple of years is that you need somebody. Doesn't have to be like the Mets level of totally stacked up and down the rotation, but you need somebody who can guarantee give your bullpen a break. You need somebody who can uh, be a stopper if you go down one nothing, or in someone who you can kind of count on to go twice in a series and be a net positive when you do that. And I, I, I don't see that person on our roster. True. So does that mean, therefore, that the 2016 year is like – a year of sort of because like you said we have our we have our core now for a while this core is going to be with us for for a while is 2016 a year where we sort of like uh try to develop people try to make some trades try to get a a, a roster together that uh in 2017 2018 can make a run at the world series or is this a year where Dan Duquette at the trade deadline or sometimes further down the road pushes all in and just sells everything he can find on the farm for uh, the ace of an underperforming team. Well, this goes back to the point we made earlier about what the Chris Davis contract represents and is perhaps a a good place to end, which is you don't sign the Chris Davis franchise deal Mm -hmm. unless you feel like it's time to win. I think that's true. Especially in Baltimore. Yep. So... I think the only thing that we can be confident of, as we have, again, said many times on this show, is when a move needs to be made, Dan Duquette will make a move, Mm -hmm. unless he's distracted by shiny Toronto-shaped objects. (laughs) That's the only caveat. So, if we don't get Gallardo, he's going to find a way to swing a trade, whether it's now or, as you said, at the deadline. He knows acutely that that is the biggest hole on the team. It's just a question of what he does. And I think the the question that we're asking is, is it going to be enough? Because even if you bring in Gallardo, at best, you have returned to... I mean, Gallardo is, I feel like, roughly equivalent to Chen in that he's more durable, but he's less effective when he's on the mound. So I think that probably nets out roughly even 
So you've basically just set yourself up with a rotation that is likely to be about as good as it was last year, unless... Gossman takes a big step forward. Gossman arrives. So Kev, need you, kiddo. That's interesting. That's a really interesting perspective to be in. I mean, that 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 a lot of the Orioles' eggs are in that basket. But one of the interesting things about that, to me, is if we're two months into the season, I doubt that Kevin Gossman can do enough to, especially with the Jake Arrieta precedent, to really keelhaul his own trade value. Um, so if it starts to look like it's not working and Kevin Gossman is not making the leap this year and Dylan Bundy is not making the leap this year, then maybe 2016 becomes a, 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 a year of some trades, some sells, and a, a pretty big reordering in the bullpen. I really hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Well, Baltimoreans, uh, we're not sure, even after talking to you for a half an hour, whether we are bullish or bearish about the chances of the 2016 Baltimore Orioles. We are, however, very excited that Chris Davis is back in the orange and black, and we are very excited to be the proud sister-wife podcast of the good folks over at Baltimore Sports Report Network. Check them out. You, Baltimoreans, should start sending us some recommendations, because we are about to launch our 2016 Baltimoreans official nicknames TM where we uh, go through the the entire roster and give everyone the nickname that they so justly deserve hopefully we'll have our arbiters of justice back on this year to um, to let us know whether we're doing the right thing but you too should be sending us recommendations starting whenever you'd like at bmorons on the Twitterverse yes where there has lately been a bevy of Baltimoreans related activity not to mention, uh, you know, some comments about the the Iowa caucuses <laughs> and a few other things. Uh, there was a period of time when I thought I was tweeting from my personal accounts and may have said some things that were uh, not 501c3 appropriate. How it about that? Happens. <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. iOS confusing interface. It is. It is. Also, check us out at uh, on our on our beautiful website. Uh, it is simple. It is elegant. It is updated biweekly. Um, bmorons.com yeah and uh, you know the other thing I'd like to tell you yeah is that section 336 oh yeah and the folks over at bird's eye view have just been killing it lately yep and good work good work gentlemen I, I feel like we don't say that enough mm-hmm. uh, how 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 great those shows are because they're they're really awesome and they are awesome consistently. Also, the uh, but just stop and think about how lucky you are to have those shows in your life. The three three six new studio, nice job, Josh. Tis that looks dope. Pimp. Tis dope. Also, uh, Jake, really cute pictures from Disney World. <laughs> this just got weird. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our show features uh, features. I just features-ed. went. I just went present and past tense at the same time. It's a, it's a high rope. It's a high wire act here at Houdini Studios. Our show features two songs. Yep. This evening, the Baltimore theme song written and performed by Marshall York. And behind my voice right now, kicking my heart around by the Black Crows. We often say this show is written and produced by Sam Dingman and Alan Smith, but anyone who's listened to this episode this evening knows that the written is highly, highly fatuous. <laughs> I wrote this one. I wrote this one. Are you ready? Yeah. 
What's uh, Henry Rudia's favorite shoe store? <laughs> no idea. Henry Rudia Locker. God <laughs> damn it, Smith. <laughs> Why do you let me talk <laughs> into a microphone? <laughs> okay. How about, how about uh, Ugg Boot Rudia? That would have been better. <laughs> oh, well. And, and Ugg is the sound I make when he plays the outfield. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>